The book of Job is a challenging work, to say the least. It's the chronicle of one man's legendary suffering. Poor Job, who watches helplessly as his livelihood is crushed, his children are killed, and his body is racked with painful sores. In the final chapters of the book, God emerges from a whirlwind, presumably to explain the purpose and the meaning behind Job's tribulations. At least that's what one might expect to happen. In the end, God doesn't offer much explanation at all. Rather than answering Job's difficult and timeless question, why do bad things happen to good people? God asks Job a series of rhetorical questions designed to highlight the man's ignorance of the universe. In other words, I'm God. Who are you? Who are you to question me, Job? Well, friends, I am not God. And I haven't got a special phone in my office with a direct line to God either. In fact, my office phone is 20 years old and the five and two buttons always stick when I press them ever since I spilled coffee all over it. That's the kind of guy you're talking to here. So you can ask me all the questions you want. Just remember that my answers are not gospel truth so much as one man's understanding of the universe and the human experience. That said, as an observer of the world and a student of worlds beyond, perhaps I can at least offer something to think about. And so in the words of the text, I will gird up my loins like a man while you question me. And hopefully, I will not darken counsel by words without knowledge. <laughs> then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you will declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment in thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed bounds for it and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stopped. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, so that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and it is dyed like a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Just so you know, I'm, uh, I'm not trying to cut the line here. Um, 
for the donuts, but I feel better having this here because I know that if I get a difficult question, I can take a really big bite <laughs> while I think about what I'm going to say. Seth is going to need all the help he can get because he's agreed voluntarily to be questioned by a lawyer. <laughs> so here we go. I've organized them, as lawyers do, into topics. I'm starting with the big stuff. And there are two that I'm going to read together. What do you believe is a core social problem we as a church have opportunity and call to act upon? And the UCC has very clear positions on issues like gun violence, women's reproductive rights, the environment, etc. How should we support these positions or not? There's, um, there's a lot to be worried and anxious about in the world today. Um, there are a lot of social problems. Um, and it's difficult, um, it's difficult to highlight one that concerns me most or one that I think the church can respond to most because I think they're all interconnected in really deep ways that aren't always uh, immediately apparent. Um, but I will say that, uh, First, I'm going to say what I think kind of ultimately ties them all together, and then I'll answer the question of, you know, what I think the church can respond to. Um, the biggest concern that, that sort of weighs on me that I think um, is the cause and effect of many of the other problems is uh, the warming climate. I think that, you know, whenever I think about you know, how do we, you know, whether we address this or that, you know, whether it's, um, you know, political division or whether it's food scarcity or uh, whether it's immigration, you know, whatever these issues are, I feel like even if we solve one or all of them, that one is still sort of looming above everything else. And I think it exacerbates all of those other problems, if, if not causing them directly. Um, and that's one that... I don't think we can, as a church, we can't fix it. We can't uh, necessarily reverse it or even slow it down, you know, just by ourselves. Um, however, I do think uh, it's something that we can respond to locally. And I think that all of the issues, or most of them, that weigh upon us, whether it's, you know, again, um, food scarcity, whether it's uh, homelessness or housing shortages, whether it's, you know, legislative issues, reproductive rights, as you said, or um, uh, whatever the, the issue is, I think we need to kind of get our heads out of the, the clouds, as it were, out of the, the big picture, and think more locally, because that's where we can act, and that's where we can make an impact on our local community. That's where we can kind of build uh, God's kingdom in our corner of the earth. Um, so as I look ahead and I look at um, kind of where I see, in my humble opinion, you know, the world moving in the next 
five years, 10 years, 20 years. I think about what can the church do, you know, to provide for people's needs um, as they grow. And I think they will grow. I think the needs will grow. I think, um, I think what we're going to see probably is um, increasing scarcity as a result of, again, you know, the warming climate, as a result of conflicts that emerge over resources. Um, I think we need to be prepared to, in some ways, keep doing what we're doing, but doing it better. Uh, which is to say, we've always done a great job of, I think, you know, providing food for the homeless and providing uh, shelter for the, for the homeless and, and um, taking care of, you know, people's basic needs. I, I want to become a community that can not only channel some of those resources, uh, but provide them, you know. And, you know, what if we could be a place that could offer a cooling shelter, for instance, in 10 years? you know, when it's 115 degrees outside for two weeks out of the year, um, and we've got rolling blackouts due to energy shortages, you know? Could we have uh, our own power supply? Could we have solar, you know, something that would provide shelter for people? Um, if, you know, food is scarce, can we step up uh, and help out the local food pantry, either by donations or even growing our own, you know? How can we begin to think bigger, but also smaller, right? <laughs> Uh, like bigger ideas, but more locally. Um, I think that's going to be the church's call. I think that's what Jesus, you know, calls us to do to care for people. There's, um, it's kind of interesting if you look at the gospel of Matthew and Luke, when, when Jesus is giving a sermon on the mount, uh, he talks about, um, uh, in one of those gospels, he talks about providing kind of uh, spiritual bread, you know, but in the other one he talks about providing actual bread. <laughs> You know, I think those are really important. Um, so how do we continue to provide for people? How do we continue to live into that call? Um, I think those are going to be really important roles uh, for the church going forward. And I think as a community, we need to discern what those issues are that concern us the most that we want to answer. Again, I'm, I'm just throwing out ideas here. Like, I, I'm not, as I said earlier, I'm not the guy with all the answers. Um, and I don't necessarily know what issues are most important to you. I know some of them because we've had some polling in the past and that kind of thing. But I think that's a conversation we're going to have to continue to have together uh, so that, you know, we can um, get behind a vision that we can all embrace. Relatedly, what can we do to help tone down and heal the political division in America and more pointedly, would Jesus encourage us to pray for and develop empathy for politicians we hate? <laughs> that was not my question, but I appreciate the person who wrote it. It's <clears throat> a good donut. <clears throat> um, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't have a lot of confidence um, in sort of achieving uh, national unity at this point. I feel like things are, you know, so polarized uh, to the point of, um, it's, I was talking to my son about this the other day, there's a difference between opinions and values, right? 
And, you know, it's, it's not that difficult to be friends with people that have different opinions, you know? Uh, you might like different music or, or food or, or have different ideas about, you know, how maybe how to solve the world's problems. But, but differences of values are really challenging to overcome. Um, there's something more fundamental there. And I think what we have is a difference of values in many ways um, and on many issues. Um, I don't know where that leads ultimately. Um, I'm concerned that the things I just talked about will also exacerbate political divisions because I think what you, what you often find um, in times of scarcity or trouble, um, it's not uncommon for you know, demagogues to arise and sort of scapegoat you know, people for the problems, whether it's you know, immigrants or the gays or you know, whoever it is, right? Like, um, which only makes things worse, right? Which, which only continues to deepen uh, the dividing lines and the fault lines. Um, but again, uh, thinking more locally, part of, the, part of the excitement of that for me is is kind of removing my head a little bit out of that kind of nas national, international political space and saying, okay, look, I preached about this a couple, just a couple weeks ago. I said, look, I'm, I'm having a personal crisis of, of you know, faith in our, it, not just, I mean, just in leadership in general, like sort of across the world. And um, I don't necessarily trust the people in power to kind of fix our problems or get us out of this mess whatever the mess is at, at any given day. Um, and I think in that situation, we say, okay, well, what can we do then? If they're not gonna fix it, what can we do ourselves? What can we do locally, again? Um, and I think that's the best we're gonna be able to do. I, I, I pray and I long for a day of you know, unity, but um, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I find it very difficult to imagine it. Um, as for, you know, praying for politicians you hate, I think Jesus absolutely would. I mean, he did essentially say that, right? Um, I think it's, that's one of the spiritual dangers of our time, maybe of, of all time, is uh, resisting the temptation to hate anybody, you know? It's such a powerful and terrible thing. Um, it's, a, it's a poison, essentially, you know, that we kind of hold within us. Um, and it's difficult when you see, you know, public figures sort of, you know, acting in really horrible ways. Um, and, and especially when, you, when that's all you see of them, right? Because you don't know them personally. Um, you don't see them tucking their kids in at night or whatever, right? You just see them getting up and spouting nonsense. Um, it's difficult to resist um, that temptation to hatred. It's difficult not to dehumanize people in that way. And I think that is an ongoing Christian call, maybe one of the hardest parts of the gospel, you know, is to not just pray for your enemies, but to love your enemies, right? Oh, man, <laughs> that's really hard. Um, and uh, that being said, I don't think that means you have to like them. <laughs> you know, there's a difference there. Um, it, you know, you can't be friends with everybody. Uh, and I don't think we're called to be friends with everybody, but, um, but, but we are called to recognize one another's collective uh, humanity, even when it appears to be lacking, I, I believe it's there, and um, that's our call as Christians. Thank you for that. That's lovely. 
So you mentioned Levi a moment ago. How has being a parent impacted your faith? Hmm. Well, as those of you who are parents know, it really impacts everything, doesn't it? <laughs> um, there's no part of your life that, that is untouched uh, or unchanged um, by parenthood, and you'll often hear myself and Pastor Kendra, Christine just this morning, you know, sharing stories and insights, I think, that we've gained from, from our relationship uh, with our kids. Um, you know, it's, um, it's a profound thing to create a life, right? I mean, that's, that's sort of as close to God as we can get in some ways, uh, or it's knowing the power of God. Um, and I think it, it certainly changes my perspective in a lot of ways because it allows me to kind of see the world through a different set of eyes, um, which in some ways remind me of my own when I was younger. They kind of harken back to earlier perspectives, but also new ones, right? Because my kids aren't me and they see the world in their own unique way, um, which is sometimes baffling and, <laughs> and, and perplexing and frustrating. Um, you know, because I, I can't understand. One of the arguments I get into with my son, Ethan, that I just, I cannot, like, get my head around at all is the concept of spoilers. Like, he wants things to be spoiled. And he wants to spoil them for others as far as, like, you know, how the story ends or, or what happens in this TV show or whatever. Like, and we, we watch shows together and we get into this argument constantly because he tries to spoil things and I'm like, Why? Why? I, I don't understand. It's a silly example, but, there, but you know, there are ways in which uh, our kids offer us perspective of things we just cannot understand. But back to the last, I mean, it kind of ties to the last question, actually, right? Because we're always having to look at uh, other people's perspectives and kind of experience other people's perspectives and what they share. And sometimes they are just so, what? <laughs> you know? And, but we're willing to give our kids a little more um, uh, grace, I think, in some ways than we are willing to give, you know, so-and-so running for Congress or our obnoxious neighbor down the street or, you know, whatever. Um, so, you know, our, kid, our kids allow us to kind of enter into that challenging space um, with a more open mind. And maybe that's good practice, you know, for, <laughs> uh, for trying to empathize with others too. Um, Probably a lot of directions I could go on with that question, but all I can say is it's, it's changed everything about my life, mostly for the better. Um, <laughs> it's certainly deepened um, everything, you know, my, um, my understanding of relationship, my understanding of love um, is, is much deeper for, for having children. We received a number of what I'll refer to as administrative questions. I've kept some of the very specific ones aside. I'm hoping somebody in the office can answer those <laughs> another way. Uh, but the bigger ones I'm gonna put as two. What are the church's top priorities as it relates to mission? Mm -hmm. And is there a next big church project or mission focus planned for the near future? Hmm. Yeah, um, I think currently and sort of most recently, you know, our mission priorities have uh, really been on, again, goes back to what I was saying earlier, um, caring for the community, you know, um, 
whether that's through our partnership with PADS, which has changed and evolved. Um, happy to talk more about that at another time. Uh, or bridge communities, or the food pantry. I think this congregation has always really stepped up in really significant ways uh, to help our neighbors in various ways. Um, one of the big projects that we've been working on this past year um, and are continuing uh, to work on, um, you know, homelessness in general has been, uh, that's sort of one that always often rises to the top along with when we've pulled the congregation along with uh, mental health issues. Um, and we've been working on, as, as many of you know, um, uh, getting a development on uh, Roosevelt Road through our partnership with DePage United, uh, which would be, be primarily for, you know, uh, seniors who can't afford the taxes to stay where they are in their uh, Glen Ellen homes, as well as uh, young adults with developmental disabilities and intellectual disabilities who are, you know, really have the potential to live on their own with a little bit of supportive service. Um, and most of them are, you know, there's, there's so many in our community and a lot of them are just still living with their parents um, because they have no other place to go, but they work and, you know, they're really quite responsible and able to take care of themselves with just a little bit of help. And this is a development that would uh, provide those supportive services along with, you know, affordable housing. Um, and when I say affordable, I don't mean like Section 8, you know, $300 a month. I mean $1,500 a month, you know, which used to just be normal, <laughs> and now it's affordable. Um, so that's a, a project that a lot of folks in the church have been active um, in working on this past year. Uh, and going forward, we're going to continue to do that. Um, uh, but like I said, I, my, my passion, and I'm, I'm, I've talked with some people, and I feel like there's some good resonance there and, and synchronicity, is, is in thinking about how we um, kind of redefine sustainability going forward. Um, I used to, I, had a, I have a notebook, and when I became the senior pastor here, I, you know, uh, I, uh, the first thing I wrote at the top of my notebook was that I wanted to build a more compassionate and sustainable community. Um, and that meant something a little different back then. That was seven years ago. Um, I think what I meant by sustainable was really just kind of sustaining ourselves, like, you know, make sure we have enough money, making sure the building's not going to fall down, making sure, you know, people are engaged in the church. Um, and that stuff's all still a priority, but, I, but I, I'm thinking more now about, you know, also how do we sustain the local community in really practical ways that I talked about earlier. And that's a direction I'd personally like to see us go in, but Again, I really want to have conversations with you all uh, to see if you share that feeling and, um, and what you all want to do. So. We did receive a number of more light-hearted questions, and I apologize we don't have time for all of them, but I thought this was fun. What's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you during a wedding? <laughs> I can answer that one pretty easily. Um, it was an outdoor wedding. And um, uh, I dropped one of the rings. Um, yeah, that was the uh, response I got at the time. <gasps> um, the, but here's the thing. <laughs> I, have to, I have to justify myself here. I wasn't just being clumsy, which I'm, you know, prone to do. But um, I was trying to execute a particularly complicated maneuver, okay? <laughs> So, and this is something I don't normally do, actually, because I'm a little clumsy and I don't trust myself, but, you know, there's a fairly traditional 
thing that pastors will do, you know, where they take the stole and wrap it around um, the couple's hands while they hold the rings, you know, tying the knot, as it were. I try to avoid doing that unless people ask me to do it specifically because I just feel like I don't have enough hands um, up there. You know, I've, I've got my notes in one hand here, and I've got the rings in the other hand, and I have the couple put their hands over mine, and I say a blessing, you know. So, like, where am I going to... I don't have any more hands, <laughs> you know. But the couple specifically asked for this. So I tried to, you know, I closed the folder and I, I, I kind of set it down, dropped it on the ground, whatever, because I didn't have a table, and I took the stole off and I was trying to do this <laughs> with one hand and my hand was doing this. And I'm like, <laughs> trying to keep it steady. And then sure enough, you know, it's like that scene in Lord of the Rings where he tips the ring and it falls on the ground, <laughs> boom, you know. <laughs> the, the ring just falls. And the bride says to me, oh, Seth. <laughs> and I just felt so ashamed of myself, you know. And I reached out, you know, find the ring, and you know. So that was the most embarrassing thing that happened to me. I, I'm sorry we had to bring up that. During a wedding. I know, that's all right. So I have... I've, Two more serious questions, and then those of you whose questions were not chosen, you can be angry. Be angry with the lawyer, it's just easier. You can always uh, find me uh, another time and ask me if you want. Okay, and this, this is a very serious one, and I appreciate this one as well. This is, this is also coming from me. Uh, both my husband and I have aging parents who are approaching end of life. It has been a cruel, painful process for them. What is the meaning of this, and does God offer the dying any hope? in such despair. Offer the dying any hope, did you say? It's a hard thing. It's so hard um, to see someone you love in that state. Um, you know, um, my own father passed away about 12 years ago, and um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a terrible thing. Um, and there is, there is a lot of suffering for the sometimes for the person, not always, you know, um, depending on their circumstances, but always for the family, I think, and for the people who love them. You know, I, um, I will, I'll, if, if, you, if you'll indulge me, I'll share a personal story on that note that I think goes some way towards answering that question. Um, my father was not a particularly religious man. Um, wasn't an atheist or anything. He was just, you know, sort of the guy who never gave it a whole lot of thought. Um, and he was dying of stage four lung cancer um, and never smoked, you know, just there it is. Um, and I was in the hospital with him and he expressed to me a, uh, a fear, you know, that he was not right with God, um, you know, because he hadn't been more devoted throughout his life, um, and he worried, you know, about what was coming down the line for him. And um, I thought about it for a moment, and I, I just told him the story about Jesus on the cross with the thieves, you know, and, uh, and how, you know, you got these guys who probably didn't live the most righteous lives, and they're facing their death. And, you know, what does Jesus say? He doesn't condemn them. Uh, 
didn't say, leave me alone, I'm dying over here, you know. He says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And I get choked up every time I read that now, you know, because of that experience. But I think that's the hope, you know, that I find in those moments is, as a person of faith, you know, I really believe that, you know, life, our, this life is not the only existence we have. I believe that um, there is uh, a transcendent experience that awaits us all at the end. Um, and I don't know exactly what that means or where we go or uh, what it's like, um, but I believe very firmly in a loving God, and I believe that uh, we are here on this earth to uh, grow spiritually, for our souls uh, to grow, um, and uh, that we might, you know, be ready for whatever comes next. Uh, I don't believe it's a bad thing, uh, a bad place, you know. I... Um, it is possible that I don't, I don't know if we have to spend some time working some things out, you know, between um, this chapter of our journey and the next one, I don't know. But, um, but I ultimately do have a lot of hope uh, for what comes next. And, you know, I believe that's where our hope is in those moments. And the other thing I would just add is as hard and, and awful as those times can be, I mean, there's also just so much beauty uh, in the love that, that fills that space. Um, and the love that's shared there and the way it brings people together in ways that they normally uh, don't come together. Um, and that's an opportunity to grow too. Seth, one of the burning questions of your congregants may require that you take a bite at that donut. This is, this is a hard one. Are you ready? I'll take the bite after I hear it. We'll okay. This is your last question. Do you miss your beard? <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. You know, um, I, uh, I, try, I try to do everything I can not to polarize this congregation, you know, or set you at all at odds with one another. And, you know, Growing a beard was probably a very polarizing decision, you know, um, as with shaving it. Although I had a good reason to shave it, as you know, I had to be Elvis. So, <laughs> thing is, I enjoyed being Elvis so much that I decided to keep shaving. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. In all honesty, I I, uh, I miss it sometimes. I will probably grow it back at some point. I don't know. I don't know. You just have to wait and see what the future holds as we live into the uncertainty of our times. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Thank you all.